Welcome to this episode of Ready, Set, Grit, Your Life on Purpose with Ellen Barton, where you'll hear thought-provoking discussion, inspirational stories, and get action tips for creating the life of your dreams. Hello and welcome to Ready, Set, Grit, Your Life on Purpose, a weekly podcast in which we talk about the secrets behind living the life you've always dreamed of. I'm Ellen Barton and today my guest is Kendra St. Charles. In 1992, Kendra's life was upended when she barely survived the crash of U.S. Airways Flight 405. Not only did she end up surviving that horrific crash, but now she speaks to groups and organizations about topics related to it, topics like adversity, surviving, persevering. For more than 20 years, Kendra has been guiding people through unexpected tragedies, overcoming adversity, and finding success. And I'm super excited to have her on the show. Kendra, welcome. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's, it's really exciting to have you here. And I guess you're, you're a reluctant celebrity that never asked for that particular thing to happen to you, but um, you really, I guess, learned from it and, and grown from the experience. I think that's a re- really fair statement. I really did not want the publicity or notoriety or ever expect to be speaking in front of large groups, to be quite honest. I was pretty content with my, what I called a normal, traditional, everyday life. Yeah, yeah, exactly, as many of us are. But one of the things that's interesting is how you've taken the events that happened to you. There's obviously things we have no control over and really turned it into something positive that's helped other people. So that's that's really cool. And um, you you've actually did a TED Talk about the whole experience. And when I turned on that TED Talk, I just couldn't, I just couldn't remove my attention or my eyes or and you know anything from what from you and what you were saying. It was absolutely um, fascinating to to listen to the story. So I will post that talk um, on my website on this page um, about this podcast. But I wonder if you can give us the short version of the events of that day when everything changed. Well, I would be glad to. Um, I was a single mother again with an only child and living a pretty traditional life, I thought. My focus of my life was making a living to give my daughter all the things that I thought were important and to be able to give her some kind of security and and have a home that, you know, she could thrive in and just be comfortable with a one-parent family and no other siblings. So I was pretty dedicated to working um, my sales job which I had started four years prior to the crash and had found some success in in a straight commission sales position where I went into the individual doctor's offices and sold eyeglass frames to doctors. And I got to see that the hard work does pay off. And when it came time for us to have our trade show in New York City, I was selected as being one of the top sales reps in the company. And they asked me to go to New York and work for three days in the um, in the booth in New York to represent the the, sh- the company and and uh, and I accepted it. I really didn't want to. The funny thing is, is I almost turned it down. And another rep said to me, you know, it's really quite an honor to be asked. You might be it might be a good idea to say yes, which in the long run I think is always a good idea. But I went. Um, my brother Kevin stayed at home with my daughter Tracy, who was 16 at the time. And um, 
you know, had I went out and bought, I think I did what most women would do when you know you're going to be on stage, so to speak. I went out and bought three new suits, spent more money on suits and, and shoes and jewelry and scarves uh, than I'd ever, ever imagined I would spend. But I wanted to make sure that I represented the Midwest well. You know, I didn't want people to think that we in, in, in Ohio didn't know how to dress <laughs> and all that because it was a fashion industry. Uh-huh. So it was important for me to do that, and and uh, I think I carried it off pretty well. But um, when it was time to come home, I got ready to leave, leave uh, Jacob's uh, Convention Center, and it, there was a snowstorm that had started. So I hailed a taxi cab ride with another rep, and we got to the airport. The flight was delayed, and uh, we waited for some time. Finally, we were able to board. When I went to sit in my assigned seat, there was another passenger sitting there. And um, I said to the flight attendant, you know, what do you think I should do? And she said, there's empty seats, sit wherever you want. So when it came time um, to to take off, they had de-iced us once. And the other rep and I were chatting about that, that it was icing as quickly as they were de-icing. And right before we took off, she asked if I wanted to trade seats. So I went from sitting by the window to sitting in her seat, which was on the aisle. And um, both she and the man in my assigned seat died that night. Mm. Um, we got up about 40 feet in the air when the left engine stalled. And that we ended up doing a cartwheel down the runway where the left wing of the aircraft was actually ripped off from the f- fuselage. And I was ejected out of that whole s- seat and all into the icy cold waters in Flushing Bay. Um, I was able to finally realize that I was in water, first of all, and then unbuckle my seatbelt, and then I was basically in a sea of flames. So I had to push the, the wreckage and, and the, the different parts of the aircraft that had been, been exploded away and find my way to the lights of the runway. Um, and this was all in about 32-degree weather. The, the water was cold. It was snowing. The snowflakes were actually hitting my face, and it felt like needles pricking my, my skin and my face. I used my hands to shield my face from the, from the flames and ended up getting pretty severely burnt on my hands, as well as flash burns all over my body. But um, I was able to crawl out of the water onto the uh, rocks that were around the edge of the runway and uh, climbed to safety where I passed out. I had um, suffered not only smoke inhalation and burns, but um, my right lung had collapsed because my ribs, one of my broken ribs on my right side, punctured that, that, that lung, and I was not able to breathe. So I passed out and thank goodness was discovered by a paramedic and, and one of the first taken to the hospital where they immediately intubated me to keep me alive. So I was on a ventilator for three days. Um, so it was, uh, I was not expected to live and certainly question why I changed seats twice that night. Yeah, I would think that was, um, you know, certainly going through your mind. Did you, did you feel at some point that there must be some purpose to, you know, maybe there was something you were supposed to do still on this earth or did that kind of thing go through your mind? It, it does. I think for me, the, the, the physical recovery took a while. It took me a, probably a year to get back to going to the gym and doing some things that I 
normally would do, but psychologically it took even longer. It was it was a difficult road to recovery, that's for sure. Yeah, I liked too the part of your story when you said that um, you you made the decision that you were going to survive um, when you had the thought of your ex-husband taking care of your daughter. That that is the truth. That's true. It was it was <laughs> on a ventilator. <laughs> Unable to, yeah, as a single mother, I look up and see my ex-husband standing over me and him trying to keep me calm and saying, don't worry about a thing, I'll take good care of my daughter Tracy, our daughter Tracy, and just thinking, oh my God, he doesn't think I'm going to live, and then worse <laughs> yet, he can't take care of a dog, and he, he couldn't, so it was um, certainly motivating me that I needed to get better and, and get on with um, raising her um, in a good, good environment. So that was my, that was my motivation for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, motivation comes in all forms and I think that's right. a very valid one. Um, how did your, so, you know, obviously you had a long physical recovery to go through after the accident. What, um, you know, beyond that, what changes did you find yourself making just, you know, because of what you had gone through, did you um, approach life differently or, or um, in, introduce new routines or rituals or you know, anything like that into what you're doing? You know, I think the good news is, is that the human spirit bounces back. Um, and for me, it, it can, it can, so for the recovery phase, I, I tried to slow, I had to slow down. I, you know, I couldn't, couldn't juggle all the balls that I used to juggle as a single mother. You know, it's like, throw me another ball. I can do this. I can do that. Mm. I can suck. And I think because of the physical uh, restrictions, it, 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 I had to slow down. I had to take, be present. I had to not do 10 things at one time. I could only do one thing at a time. And it, and it was a good habit to get into. The unfortunate part is human beings is we say, okay, I'm, I can, you know, I can go on the treadmill for one minute today. Let me try two and three and four. And I can still answer those emails while I'm doing this and, and also see if I can send a text. So, um, it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword. I, I try and I remind myself, one of the reasons I love to speak is it reminds me too that stay in the present. Enjoy all the good because life is short and it can change in a second. Just when you think you've got all those pillows fluffed up and your house in perfect condition, you know, something will come along and, and knock the wind out of you. And certainly that has done it for me. Um, it also made me rely on others. And as a type A person, it, it, was, it was a pretty um, tough lesson for me to learn. But I think that's the one thing that I carry over today that um, I've realized by speaking to all different audiences that everyone has their crash, whether it's a divorce or a cancer diagnosis or the loss of a loved one or job. We all have things we have to overcome. And it's the human connection that allowed me to get through that and help me over that hurdle. And that's that to me was the number one lesson. Hmm. It's the people. It's the people, Kendra. It's all about the people. 
Yeah, that's interesting. And it's I like I kind of like that phrase everyone has their crash. It makes me think about the connectedness of everyone and you know, we are all the same. Even mm-hmm. things we don't like in other people, they're really about ourselves. You know, we're all we are all connected and we all the it seems to me like the quicker we can get to empathy and compassion, um the quicker we realize that connectedness. And and you have to get humbled. I think through through the inability to take care of myself to feed myself you know to answer the door I couldn't turn my hands were badly burned so I couldn't turn a doorknob uh all those little things really really humbled me and and again it was the the interaction of the people that I had to ask for help to tie my shoes to cut my food uh any of that that became a, a gift to me and I hope part of the gift is me knowing to to give back and 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 that that's the the cycle of it. It's it's the more you give, the more you receive. Yeah, absolutely. Did you did you realize all the gifts that were coming out of this fairly early on, or did you have to go through a um, you know a, a grieving process or a some kind of a process where um, you, you maybe went through different stages of um, I don't know what the word is. It's like maybe some kind of PTSD. It is. It very was. It, I I was diagnosed finally with PTSD, and and I did go through the different phases. And you know, for me initially, I just wanted to get home. I just mm-hmm. thought once I got home, everything was going to be fine. And I wanted to get back to my little cocoon and and nest. And certainly that was helpful, but the nightmares didn't stop. Um, you know, I, I was sleeping with a light on in my bedroom. I had to have the TV or radio on. Um, I needed I needed that kind of support in the beginning, and finally saw the uh, uh, a psychologist who specialized in in traumatic events. She had been the psychologist for um, our police and fire department, so she was used to dealing with people who had seen pretty horrific things. You know, the the vision that I had from that night was pretty horrific. Um, yeah. You never expect to see a big aircraft in bits and pieces. I, I liken it to a Campbell's soup can that has been crushed um, because the only part of the wreckage that was even recognizable was the tail. Uh, the rest of it was, you know, just, just mangled and burnt, even though we ended up finally coming to rest in Flushing Bay. Um, it was, it was a pretty, pretty horrific scene. So I, you know, I, I was, I'm very grateful. I credit her with me getting on with my life and being able to sleep without the lights on and, uh, learning to trust again. I had really been pretty, um, I, I guess felt pretty secure coming from the Midwest and, and not having any fears. And I trusted people. And when I, looked out that window and saw it snowing and icing on the window. I said to myself, they'll never let us take off if it's not safe. There've mm. got to be men in high places, you know, that make those decisions in my mind. And little did I know that the same kind of aircraft that we were on had had a, a, a totally fatal crash a year prior to that, where everyone on board was killed up in Canada. Same Weather conditions, you know, it was icing on the wind, wings, and and they were aware of it. it was a difficult. Oh my goodness! Process for me. To... Now, Kendra, do you 
do you still fly? I do still fly. Um, uh, I didn't think I ever would. I re- I really had to struggle with it. Um, and for me, I knew that if I, all I wanted from the very beginning was for my life to be normal again. That's what I wanted. I wanted to go back home. I wanted to have a normal life. I wanted to cut the grass. I wanted to root for my sports teams. Um, and I knew if I was going to have that normal life that I had to fly. And I also had a daughter and I knew if I, if I didn't fly, she'd never fly. Right. So I was determined that I was going to get back on the plane and fly. So it was about a year after the crash that, you know, that I had a, um, a sales meeting to go to in Colorado. And I went home and told her I was going to do it. And my daughter said to me, you know, Mom, if you're flying, I'm going with you. Because I think she thought she was going to keep me safe. So mm. she will laugh and tell you she still has the fingernail marks in, the, in her arm from where I was holding <laughs> on. But, I, you know, I'm amazed that I do as well. And, and if it had not been for the old Continental Airlines, they kind of took me under their wing after the crash. Um, U.S. Air was the plane, um, the particular airlines that I was on. But Continental was in the process of redoing their emergency uh, plan. Their, um, and they wanted to know what it was like for a survivor. And they asked me if I would help them write that plan. So I did. And I was... You know, it gave some sort of purpose to what I'd gone through then, if I could help others. Yeah, one of of the things that surprised me was that um, you had previously told me something about the airlines not having any... um, any recourse for victims, you know, before you said that, you know, people wouldn't get the, the belongings back if mm-hmm. their loved ones mm-hmm. did perish in a crash or, you know, things like that. It was pretty shocking to me, but you got involved with some advocacy around that. I did. I, I was contacted by the families from Pittsburgh. They had their crash, um, U.S. Air 427, that crashed um, and everyone on that flight was killed. And some of the families from Pittsburgh asked me to come over and talk to them about what it was like after the crash, because there wasn't a plan in place for the airlines to give any kind of uh, emotional, financial, any kind of support until the lawsuits were all finished. They didn't have even trained personnel that worked for the airlines that knew what to do with a survivor or, God forbid, I had died and my daughter what to mm. do with her. So it was pretty unbelievable at the time that they weren't prepared to do this. They will all say they were prepared, but they did not have anything in writing. But and they, they were really doing nothing. They were doing nothing. That's and it's shocking. funny, though. So I got involved with the families from Pittsburgh, and then after that there was another crash in Chicago. Um, and then TWA 800 crashed in New York City. And a group from each of those crashes went to D.C. and met with Chairman Jim Hall, who was the chairman of the NTSB, National Transportation Safety Board in New York. And we had an, uh, he appointed me to a task force to work on recommendations on how, to, how the government and how airline, each individual airline should handle passengers or families who lo- lose loved ones after a crash. We were able, I testified in front of Congress and was able to get the Family Assistance Act for Aviation Disasters of 1996 passed. 
and that's what mandated that each airline has to submit in writing to the transportation department, to the, I'm sorry, the Department of Transportation, a plan on what they will do in the event of an accident. And it has to be submitted to them. So the NTSB then was named as the advocate group. They are the ones that, that really take care of the families. So that was all done after my crash and because of the legislation that I worked on. So I, you know, I learned that one person can make a difference. Even a person with a, you know, a soft voice and isn't very tall could matter. <laughs> and when, when called upon, I, I reluctantly said yes to that because I thought, though, this is a joke. Nothing ever gets done in D.C. Uh-huh. And I was one of the ones that got to say, you know, I'm pretty lucky. I got to see when people get together and all work for a common cause, leave their egos at the door. Um, I worked with people from 22 other people on that task force, from government, Red Cross, family members, um, and airline trade groups. And we were able to get the law done that still stands today. Matter of fact, it stands today and was altered for um, uh, railway transportation. So Amtrak, buses, trains, all that falls under that the same act. Oh, that's that's very interesting. It's very, very. I say it's like the child, the second child that I gave birth to. It's so rewarding, and I have so much, you know, so much pride in seeing that that the right thing is being done. And and the you know the funny thing is the airlines really wanted to do this all along. The people that were working in the trenches of the airlines and would see some of these accidents afterwards wanted to do the right thing. But it takes money, and it takes the, you know, the CEOs and the CFOs and the presidents all to be able to say, this is the law, this has to be done, this is what we'll do, and we'll do it right. Yeah, that's that's certainly policy that makes sense and that we need more of, probably. Mm-hmm. So yeah, how? Um, so I want to backtrack a little bit to talk about mindset, and I guess my question may take us back to when you were recovering and and asking about um, the importance of your mindset during that process. Or, but maybe it's even relevant to going into Washington and going into these seemingly impossible situations and working together with a group, but ultimately prevailing. Like, How important do you, do you think mindset is um, to our success in life? Well, I think, you know, I think it goes without saying it's really important. I, I think I think my mindset was not just for me to do the right thing, but it was for my daughter. It really was for her to see that you need to take care of yourself. You need to, when asked, go out on a limb and do what you think is right or may help somebody else because you never know when you're going to be in that position. Mm-hmm. And I felt I was filled with gratitude and, and gratefulness. I received um, get well cards and wishes from people that I didn't even know. I, I was amazed and I still am in awe and I still have them to this day. All the cards and, and the letters of encouragement that people sent me and I will forever be grateful. Maybe it's my way of paying it back or paying it forward. I'm not sure, but it it made a difference in my recovery. Because there were some days I didn't want to get out of bed. I mean, I was scared. I didn't. I didn't know what what had happened to me. 
how could this, you know, I, I'd done everything by the rules. I played right. I was a good person. I'd sat in the right seat. I've tried to, and, and, and I almost died. And it just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But I felt that I just need to put one foot in front of the other. And somehow I was going to get myself out of there, not only physically that night of the crash, but then on the road to recovery, coming back. And it was it was hard to do, but again, it goes back to connecting with other people. People along the way that don't even realize how much they affected me by their words of encouragement. You know, I, I, I just can't say enough about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good message for all of us to hear and a good reminder to give those words of encouragement as much as possible um, on a regular basis. And um, Kendra, when you do your talks now and you talk about topics like adversity, what um, what is your main you know focus when you're talking about something like that? I think it goes back to realizing that we all have our crashes, that Mine made the front page of the newspaper, but we all do. We're we're all in this together, and and you know I have friends who have cancer diagnosis, and and um, we just have to help one another out when when we can when we can do that. And it is it's the small acts of kindness that may that matter. Um, I I really do believe that that it's it's. You know, we have the courage to fight another day sometimes, and, and sometimes we hang on by a thread. And yet, when we know there's somebody out there that we can count on, that that gives us unconditional love, that can give us either a meal or a ray of sunshine on a gloomy day, we need to do that for one another because it all comes full circle. Mm, absolutely, and. So it's so you know many people obviously have good support networks, but even those that don't feel like they have family around them or or too many friends around them, like you said, those rays of sunshine come sometimes from unexpected places if you're just open to looking for them. Mm-hmm. And if you and on the other hand, if you're not afraid to, to reach out and help or give a hand, I have. Um, I flew in December. I went back to New York City for another company that I'm working for. And I asked that I not fly out of LaGuardia. That I, you know, I, di- I just didn't want to face it. was going to be cold. I knew the weather wasn't going to be good. It's December. So I flew into um, JFK, and I thought that would be enough of a change, maybe that it wouldn't bother me. But coming home, it did. And, and I was not able to book my flight online and had to go to the ticket counter when I got there to book my seat. or to, I'm sorry, to book my seat coming home. And I was rattled. I have to tell you, I was, you know, I was like, oh, I hope I don't have to, you know, go on the, whatever, the same seat. Or it was a Sunday. It was a Sunday that the plane crash happened. It was in New York. All those triggers were really tugging at me. And I had to really keep that mindset. You can, you've got this. You can do this. You know, you, it's during the day. And, and, you know, all the positive little things I try to tell myself that are different. Um, once I got my seat assignment, then I boarded my flight. Went to, I went through the ticket agent. I mean, the ticket 
counter and was starting down the walkway when I realized I'd left my purse at, at the gate, oh my um, make, making that seat reservation. And so I had to go back up there. And, and I have to tell you, I was rattled. So by the time I got my purse, went back down through the, the walkway, I got on the flight and, and one of the flight attendants um, said something to me. And I said, please explain to the ticket agent. The reason I was so rattled was that I was on a plane crash and I went through the story in New York City and and Flushing Bay, and and he sent me um, later on in the flight on on a little napkin that they give you when they give you your drink, you know, the little, what, four inches mm-hmm. by four inches. Napkin. Um, thank you for trusting Delta Airlines. I know this must be difficult. We so appreciate that you're here. That oh. was it. I mean, I cried. The man doesn't know me. I'll never see him again. But it was so kind of him to take the time and just say a couple words of reassurance to me that he'll never know how much that meant to me getting me home. So it was pretty special. Those little things, those are the little things in life that if we're not too busy texting, driving, talking, Mm -hmm. whatever, if we can think to do, I think those make all the difference in the world. Yeah, I think you're right. And those are the little things we can always be doing for one another without any expectations. Yes. Yeah, no, that that's great. And so now I think it's clear that you are um, stronger than maybe you knew before and, yes. um, you know, have done a lot of good from this tragic thing that happened to you. And um, knowing now what you do know, is there advice that you would give to yourself when you were in your early 20s, you know, if you could speak to yourself in your early 20s now, knowing what you know, or, or advice that you'd give to your daughter just about life, living, living life, um, anything that we haven't touched upon yet? I think for me, it's a, it's a great question. I have to, to really give this some thought. I think the one couple pieces of advice I would tell myself, the one is to learn to also let go. Mm-hmm. That things don't have to be perfect, just to go with things um, and not wait for every uh, every green light to be on so that you could start a journey. This this is the journey, and things are not always going to be green. And sometimes, you know, I just need to get on with it. Um, I think I I think if I would have told myself to, you're going to have a good life. You're going to have a full life. It's not going to be an easy life. But try to enjoy, you know, the parts that bring the most meaning to you. I think that is something I can still tell myself every day. Um, and, and that might make more sense than anything else because I still tend to sweat the little stuff and, and want things to be just so. But um, it's in sometimes this, this crazy time when things become the most clear and... Uh, it's why I speak. It, 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 it gives me a chance to reboot, reset, and, and focus on all the good things. Mm-hmm. That's great. And do you find yourself saying yes to opportunities more than before? Have you always been a, a, a person that says, sure, I'll give that a shot? Or like, are you more apt no, to? I, no, I think, to I'm more apt, I think I'm more apt to say yes. I, I think that's, that's probably a, 
a true statement. I think, I think what's the worst thing can happen? I've survived a plane crash. I, I mean, I sometimes tell myself this is, is, you know, it's come on, you, you've got this. Let's, let's quit worrying and let's, let's just go and see where it takes you. And for me, that's kind of the fun part of, of, of surviving. It, it's the soaring part. And I did have another thing that when I saw the psychologist, I went in one day and said to her, you know, am I ever going to really laugh again? Because I was sleeping without the light, but I wasn't really free at heart or my spirit hadn't maybe come back. And, and I said, am I ever going to get that sense back? Of feeling secure and free and, and giggling. I call it giggling. And she said from her experience, she had seen that most people that go through a traumatic event come back to the level that they were prior to the event. And she said there's a small minority that don't. And she said there's also a small minority that soar from the event. Mm-hmm. And she said, you will soar. And, I mean, I can still remember those words that she gave me hope. So it's that intangible gift that you can give somebody of hope when their heart just isn't feeling it that she gave to me that I will always be indebted to her for. And if I can do that for others, I'm I'm a grateful person. It's beautiful. Thank you. Well, Kendra, I want to thank you for talking with us today. Is there anything else that you'd like to um, leave us with before we wrap up? Well, I'm starting a new adventure. I, I'm pretty excited about it, just in the early stages, but um, I have a friend who's mentoring me about this, where you go out and you put a casting call out for women who have faced adversity in their life, overcome it, and gone in, on and found success in their careers or their lives. And they, in turn, have the opportunity to mentor young women from the ages of 17 to 26 and, and share their stories of adversity, but also overcoming. And, and by doing that, it gives the, the sense of, if I can do it, you can do it. And what a better gift to give a young girl that's struggling with life's adversities between those ages and a sense of, of hope. So I'm pretty excited about that. Oh, that sounds wonderful. How can people find out more about that? Well, as I find out more about it myself, I'll post it on my website. Okay. But they can also email me or get in touch with me at Kendra at crashingintolife.com, and I'd be glad to answer any questions and and have their help in, in this new adventure. Okay, that sounds absolutely wonderful. And um, I'll post your links on my website, too, so people can easily find everything in one place. And, um, yeah, absolutely. I hope that some some of our listeners will uh, reach out to you. Because, that would be great. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you've got so much to offer, but that project especially sounds fascinating. Uh, I think so, too. I'm glad. Thank you, Ellen. Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you for being on the show today. It was really interesting hearing your story and inspirational hearing um, all that's transpired since the accident. So thank you for that. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure and my honor. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate it. And thank you all for listening to the show. My guest was Kendra St. Charles. And you can find this complete interview, links to Kendra's website, social media pages, and 
uh, contact information on our website, readysetgrit.com. Thank you again for joining us and check in again next Friday when we release another episode with tips on turning your daydream into a phenomenal success. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Ready, Set, Grit, Your Life on Purpose with Ellen Barton. Look us up online at readysetgrit.com where you'll find daily inspiration, links to our social media, and where you can access our eBooks and online classes. Ready, Set, Grit, Inspired Actions, Real Results.